helpless condition, gnats, mosquitoes, bugs, and other germs bite the baby, whose skin is tender, just as the smaller worms bite a big worm. The child, deprived of his wisdom, cries bitterly. We'll repeat the translation. Repeat after me. In his helpless condition, gnats, mosquitoes, bugs, and other germs bite the baby, whose skin is tender. Just as smaller worms bite a big worm. The child, deprived of his wisdom, cries bitterly. Purport by as a building by grace. The word vigatagyana means that the spiritual knowledge which the child developed in the abdomen is already lost to the spell of Maya. Owing to various kinds of disturbances and to being out of the abdomen, the child cannot remember what he was thinking for his salvation. It is assumed that even if a person acquires some spiritually uplifting knowledge, circumstantially he is prone to forget it. Not only children, but also elderly persons should be very careful to protect their sense of Krishna consciousness 
and avoid unfavorable circumstances so that they may not forget their prime duty. Om Thrust again into a place of ignorance. 
in place of forgetfulness. And so like that, as Prabhupada's kind of pointing out through this purport, we're, we're, very, um, we're very prone to forgetfulness. And we were talking yesterday in the car, myself, David, and Vinod, we were talking about this idea of uh, kanishta. There's a term in Sanskrit, kanishta, means one who, as, as we, sometimes it's used as kind of like a, a, a dirty word, but it's not necessarily a dirty word, but it can imply symptoms that are, that are less congenial to uh, a thriving and, and sustainable community. The Kanishta mentality is when faith is very weak. So my faith is very weak, and so because my faith is very weak, then I have to militantly uh, remove other conceptions that would damage my faith. Right? So then we see a lot of times these fanatics, different religious fanatics of, of all types of traditions, of our tradition, of other traditions. And it's really just a symptom of this kind of Kanishna mentality because their faith is so weak. But then there has to be this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The word for like pushing on to someone else, right? There's a sense of, if you don't believe what I believe also, then that threatens me. I may may dress it in the ruse of, of actually I care for you and it's because my scripture says you're gonna go to hell or whatever. But it's actually because if you don't agree with me, then then that challenges my faith, and my faith is already very weak. And so that frightens me. So this type of Kanishna mentality, among other symptoms, it it essentially uh, indicates a very weak faith. And so because of that, because because of a weakness of faith, or because in this verse, as it's saying, a tenderness of skin, right? Then then the susceptibility to the attack or to the uh, biting of, of these other bugs and insects and mosquitoes is, is very high. And similarly, because my faith is weak and I'm susceptible to misconception, I'm susceptible to uh, losing direction, I'm susceptible to kind of getting wrapped up in the weeds of my mind. And it's not... Uh, it's not to be surprising that this is our situation, that we are prone to forgetfulness in the living in the material world, because the the nature of the material world is darkness. It is forgetfulness, it is ignorance. And Sean Prosper, I actually had a question for you. I was speculating a little bit, and I wanted to see if you can confirm my speculation or deny it. But there's a word in here, the Sanskrit word, vigata jnana. Do you have do you have a Sanskrit dictionary? A Hindi dictionary, okay. No, but, not handy. Huh? Not handy. The Sanskrit dictionary isn't handy, it's in the ashram. Oh, oh, but it's not handy. Okay, yeah. I got you. I get it. But maybe you can maybe you can tell. This word vigata jnana, right? Prabhupada's saying it means that spiritual knowledge, um, which is lost. Vigata. Right. So I was I was speculating a little bit that vigata means it's two words. I was thinking vigati. Would that yeah. be like without a goal? Gati has a few different meanings, though. That's one of the meanings of Gati. I forget the other ones right now. Um, wish Janavon was here. Yeah, I know. I can go look at the dictionary if you want. Maybe we'll do it after. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poetically go off this interpretation of the word Vigata. Because it works, right? Vigati without a goal. Yeah. It may be wrong. I'll, I'll preface that. But, but it, it, it makes a point that I'm trying to make. Right, vigata jnana. Why is why was knowledge vigata? Why was knowledge lost, forgotten? Right, and it comes to this idea that that when we don't, when we're not fresh upon our goal, right? when we're without a goal. David Manu was mentioning yesterday that Prabhupada says in a purport of Bhagavad Gita that actually the stress comes from want of having an ultimate goal. So this idea vigati without a goal, and that may or may not be correct, but that's that's a speculation that I have. Um, it is it is it is really the cause of distress, and it's the nature of this material world, and that's why Krishna says yadahi dahi dharmasya. That from time to time, I have to I have to come back and reestablish 
the principles of dharma, the principles of religion, the principles of truth, those principles that actually allow us to live in harmony with the world and people in it. Right? So it's the nature that things will just kind of lose uh, their uh, freshness, lose their color, lose their edge. Right? So yesterday, uh, Deva Madhava gave us the eight A's to uh, association, and I didn't, I didn't, I know I wanted to, I had to do something like that, so I have the three R's of a reset. <laughs> so today we'll talk about the three R's of a reset, because, huh? Take that. Take that, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brevity is the soul of wit, and that's how I say um, So, three R's to a reset. When I read this verse, it really made me think of this uh, concept that I've been thinking about recently because of the new year, but this idea of value, right? Values. And I, and I in a conversation with David Mondo that I was having, I came to this kind of realization that value, the word value, right? It, you know, we also say where every soul is valuable or life is valuable. Right? Why is life valuable? Especially, why is human life valuable? Right? We came to this idea that Human life is valuable because we can maintain, we're able to maintain values. So because of our ability to maintain values, that's actually what makes human life valuable. Because by that maintenance of values, we actually have an opportunity to change our situation. So, and, and, and we also have the opportunity to maintain the type of knowledge and realization that, that comes to us by the mercy of God. Right, like this living entity. He was not able to maintain that. And as we see in this, he, because of the traumatic experience of being born, because of the tenderness of his faith, the tenderness of his body, right, then all of this knowledge that he had before, he's then thrust again into a helpless condition and he's forgetting these things. So before we get into the three hours of a reset, I really, uh, I've been interested, like I said, in this word value. And... Um, I have been, I've been doing some research. It, if I get a little bit too linguistic, I apologize. I'm already speculating about Sanskrit. So, um, but the word value comes from the um, root the root word uh, val or wall, right? and and wall has a lot of different um, applications, right? Different words, but it but it the root means strength or to give strength, right? And so then you get words like. Um, ruler, like in Old English, it comes from wall, same kind of thing. Um, but also you get the word wield, right? So our values are something that we wield in this world to maintain our strength, give us strength. It's also something that we, that we uh, like I was thinking of in, in, in reference to the idea of like um, its relationship to strong, like rulers or kings, right? As kings, they barter, they, they trade, they kind of um, negotiate, right? Our values are what we negotiate with the world, right? And, and if I'm weak on my values, when, when it comes time for negotiations, then I, I forfeit, unfortunately, right? So that's why it's very important, this type of uh, three R's for a reset. So the first R for a reset is that we have to revisit Right? We have to revisit our values on a regular basis. Because just like we were saying with Krishna, comes yada yada right? Krishna has to come again and again in order to reestablish because forgetfulness is natural. So I have to revisit. So I wanted to ask, uh, in the spirit of revisiting, what are some of the values? Because in the process of revisiting it, and we'll get to the next star too, but um, in the process of revisiting it's kind of taking stock at what our values are. Now, we all have different values, but being a part of the same spiritual movement, we've also been uh, graced with certain values in life that we all accept, you know, or um, theoretically, right? So what are some of the values that Srila Prabhupada has, has given us that we are, that we are, um, we have the opportunity to live by? What are some of those values that we've inherited. Yeah, sure. Integrity. Integrity. Yeah, totally. 
service to the devotees. Yeah, I just want to say about Mother Margaret was. Yeah, she's Two that come together for me is dedication and accountability. Yeah, totally. Those are those are good ones, and, and I like I like that you paired them together too because um, the type of uh, it really kind of underlines like a mood of growth. Right? When I can when I'm dedicated, that's one thing. But when I'm accountable, when I'm lacking in dedication, sort of what else? What are the values? Yeah, Vindavan. I have two also, uh, humility and also fearlessness in the service of Guru Gauranga. Mm, totally. You even should have his name, Abhai, Chana, Arvinda. Right, so fearlessness, humility. What other values have we been able to inherit? Jiva Doyo. Mercy, compassion to living entities. Um, simple living and individuality. Oh, nice. Simple living and individuality. And kind of, I would, I would, I would add, I want to add like personal, per- personhood. Right? Being individuals and being people, right? the kind of personal, that, that word, this personalistic philosophy. Yeah, Shana um, Kostu. A dedication to truth mm. by hearing it when it's there, being attentive to it, trying to remember it. Mm. Living if they had so much realization of truth and they forgot it, but yeah. they're dedicated to it. This yeah. is actually our function. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, hearing, hearing the truth. Putting ourselves intentionally in front of the sound vibration of Bhagavad, of the of the person Bhagavad, of the book Bhagavad. Right? Yeah, what else? Yeah, Udi. Uruva Sandesh. This thing is self-control and moderation. Yeah, self-control, moderation. The word like sovereign like self-sovereignty comes to mind too. Like being being sovereign of one's own mind and not uh, being just controlled by the senses. What other values? Maybe we'll get three, three or four more. I mean, it's not. It's uh, awaken our consciousness. So we're, you know, consciously being reminded mm-hmm. of going to Krishna for answers, as opposed to always thinking we're going to find those answers within ourselves. Yeah, being, uh, being, being alive, being uh, having, like striving forward towards awakened consciousness. Yeah, Mother Nidra had her hand. sacredness and foundation of the holy names. Mm. Yeah. I sent uh, David Madhavaguru. He uh, sent an article out the other day about self-care. And then I, I was I was at a coffee shop filling up my water and uh, I saw a board that was all about self-care so kind of out, of out of a joke I sent it to him. But at the bottom it said self-care tip, savor every sip. And, uh, and then he wrote back, savor every syllable. And I was thinking, how ni- what a nice meditation for Japa, being able to savor every syllable, the sacredness of the Holy Name. Right, so it's, valu- it's, it's, it's valuable to reset and revisit with our values. Right? And I find that um, if I don't, then I forget actually what am I doing or, or what do I actually value. And then, then the tendency is to slip. Like, the tendency is to... Um, yeah, they get covered up, they get forgotten. But when I go back and revisit what my values are, then there's this opportunity of, of wow, I can, I can, you know, I, I maintain that, or I want to maintain that, or I want to, I want to do more of that, right? So then the second R of the three R's to reset. Second R is reassess, right? Because sometimes we may also find in our revisiting of our values, we may also find that new values have moved in that I didn't intentionally or consciously invite to move in. And, and don't, don't necessarily um, uh, cognate the word value as being always something good. Sometimes there are values that are harmful. Right? And, and we, can, we, can in, we can inherit values, especially from this material world, that may be very harmful to not only our health but to our spiritual life. Because there's a lot of different types of values. That was one thing I wanted to say too about the first section of this idea of value is that we all have these values that we've inherited from Sri Prabhupada because we've, we've accepted these teachings of the Gaudiya Siddhanta. We've accepted Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We've accepted Sri Prabhupada as, as the pure devotee who's transmitting these teachings. 
right? And, and we've accepted his pure devotees, right? So there's values that we inherit, but those values will also manifest differently according to our life situation, right? The value of renunciation is the same for the, both brahmacharis, grihastas, vanaprasas, and sannyasis have the value of renunciation, which is a value that we've inherited from, from this bhakti lifestyle. But the that value of renunciation will manifest differently for a grihasta, will manifest differently for a brahmachari, so on and so forth. But the value is the same. So according to our life situation, and, and our life situation is always changing, our values may manifest differently, may appear differently. Right? But, but the, the opportunity to revisit with those values and then reconnect with those values is important because then I can see, is this value actually manifesting in my life? in spite of my life situation. Right? So, we said, reassess. So I may inherit some values that I don't necessarily want, or that don't necessarily serve me in my life situation. Right? Yes, Mother Margaret? Do you have an example, just a general issue? Yeah, so, so say I inherit the value that, that, that society promotes, that consumption and sense gratification is actually what brings happiness. And I, I revisit and I start to see, oh wow, I'm starting to value pleasure over value. I, or in other words, I prioritize pleasure over value, right? And I see myself slipping into that because maybe it's been a while since I've revisited what my values are. That I, that I value self-control, that I value discipline, right? And then the value of enjoyment from the material world that's coming in or the value of sense gratification. So it's coming in, and then I, when I go back to revisit, I say, wow, I'm kind of prioritizing sense gratification in these areas of my life, or I'm prioritizing, um, you know, uh, entitlement, right? There's, this is a big value, I would say, that, that's promoted. You're entitled. You deserve it, this kind of thing. So then I start valuing it. Yeah, I'm entitled. I deserve it, right? And so... When we go back to revisit, we say, oh, well, I'm entitling, or I'm, I'm prioritizing entitlement. Rather, I should prioritize humility, like Vrindavan was saying, right? I should prioritize humility. I should prioritize discipline, self-control. Um, so that would be an example, and, and there's probably a, a many others. But we reassess, right? We, re we revisit, and then we reassess what are the values that I have. We make a list, like we just did. And we can, we can say, like, what, what do I need to emphasize more in my given situation? Or, or is this manifesting properly? And I was thinking of an example, and I want to hear from other, others for different examples, too, from the Shastra, but um, examples of where devotees or, or, or people in the Bhagavatam or CC had to reassess the, the value system that they had. And I was thinking of the example of... Uh, Veda Vyas. Right? Veda Vyas is sitting there and he's, he's distressed because he's done all this work to compile the Mahabharata, to compile you know, the Puranas and, and organize the Vedas into you know, a, a teachable system. Right? But he's still very distraught. And Narada Muni comes to him and he says, are you satisfied by considering the body to be the self? This is a reassessment. Narada Muni is asking Vyasadeva to reassess your values. What do you value? Because it seems like from the body of work you're emphasizing material sense enjoyment and, and kind of kamakanda, you know, and that's what people will get. So Narada Muni says, are you satisfied with that? And Veda Vyasa is like, no, I'm not. And therefore we have Bhagavatam. Thank goodness. So what are some other examples that, that you can recall where um, Vinod's hand was up first, where, where people had to reassess uh, the uh, their values at that given moment. The Jamil. Mm. How so? Well, he was raised as a in a good Brahmin family. Mm. He was very clean, good boy, and then he became deviated, mm. and then to the, so much to the point that he's on his deathbed and uh, ready to go to hell. Mm. And then he called out Narayan and. Uh, some of the Shibutas, and they had this whole dialogue, and then he totally reassessed and realigned with his values. 
the example came to mind of the milk drink, milk drinking brahmachari mm-hmm. who was hiding in the closet during Mahaprabhu's kirtans. And the devotees in, in this brahmachari had valued kind of basic austerity as a, a qualification for entering into those intimate kirtans with Mahaprabhu. Mm-hmm. And Mahaprabhu disagreed. Mm-hmm. Just drinking milk is not going to get you love of God. If someone here is not supposed to be here, no, no, it's okay, he just drinks milk. It's, it's fine. Yeah, it's not I was thinking when Ashwatthama killed the pot of his sons, and um, was it was it Dropi? At first, she wanted him killed, and then she was realizing I I wouldn't want that oh, yeah. for his mother. Yeah. So she reassessed her values um, in that moment and said, I, I don't want him to be killed. Yeah, I just I was just listening to that the other day on the way down to Colorado Springs and just the the compassion that she was you know experiencing for she's I, I know how I feel losing my son. I don't want another mother to feel that way. I mean that that that's like it's mind boggling actually. That but the reassessment of values there. She was distressed, but then what was her real value? Compassion and, and empathy. Or like, yeah, Krishna. The Vasamuni, after his experience with uh, Amrish Maharaj, mm. he had to create in that demon because he, he, he valued his mystic power and mm. you know, has had so many thousands of disciples that us above Maharaj uh, uh, Amrish's devotion service. Mm. So after traveling all over the universe, by the Brahma Shiva, by the Vishnu, mm. Go back to my devotee. Yeah. <laughs> then, then he went, went back and he realized eh? oh, after, the way uh, I wish my mind dealt with him, he realized this person is a very exalted person. Mm. Very, very exalted person. And he, 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 he humbled himself before him and you know, asked for forgiveness. Mm. And imagine which actually. By spreads, he established Rasa Chakra, mm. and then the Rasa Muni went through the universe glorified. Yeah. Wish and devotional service. Yeah. That was a heavy. Reassessment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, the reassessment of, of how we see value, how the Rasa Muni was seeing value in the world. What's value is my austerity, it's all my, it's all my disciples, right? But then from that experience, he reassessed, no, the value is actually servants of. The Lord, the devotees in the devotional service. Yeah, Tushpur. I got a thread of a messy. They overlap with yours. But I was just thinking of Kashapa and Diti. Mm. They're uniting at an auspicious time and Kashapa reflecting afterwards, mm. reassessing you know, the timing of their union. And it was inauspicious, resulted in Nyan Kashapur and Naksha. Pingala reassessing the situation after no suitors stopped. Huh. And then you have Kriksha and Shringi and Samika Rishi when you put the snake on him, reassessing mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe he was in meditation, maybe he wasn't ignoring me. Yeah. Juba Maharaj with the Yakshas, killing him outright. And then finally, the elders had to come and say, okay, Juba, you can stop now. Yeah. And he reassessed, he, like, he crossed the boundary of anger. Anger mm-hmm. was like kind of his final tests, you know. Yeah. He, uh, he had that when he was a child. And then again, when... when, when um, his brother, not Uttama, but his father, his Uttama, Uttama, Uttama was killed. He took revenge, but he went overboard. Huh. So he was killing him left and right. Yeah. And then Flan Bhuva and others came and said, all right, we can yeah. chill out. So anyway, so at the whole Bhagavatam, you see these personalities really taking that time to mm. introspect, yeah. and kind of, yeah, reassess and regroup, kind of like correct, you know, correct their shortcoming. Yeah, and just as a word of warning, when we don't reassess our values, we get Hiranyakashtu and Hiranyaksha. That, that's the consequence, yeah. So, that's shining across for you. Yeah, thank you. I was thinking of different ones, actually. I was thinking of the 10th canto. Yogic Brahmins, they're so into their rituals. Oh, yeah. And their wives just dropped everything to go see Krishna Bala. Because they're pure devotees, because they heard about Krishna Bala, and they're totally in love. Yeah. And then when they realize what happens, the Brahmins actually said to hell with all of our austerities, to hell with all of our rituals, because it, 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 amounted, to, it, amounted, to, it amounted to nothing. 
because we, Krishna came to us, <laughs> we just ignored him. So they, they had a star realization. Then we had in the fifth canto, uh, sorry, I'll do one more. I'll do one more. I'll do one more, and then we can take one. Um, okay, so Chitana Chaitamrita, this prostitute, uh, with, with joy in her heart, as described, she took the mission of trying to make Haridas Taku fall down. And he just said afterwards, I knew, the, I knew the whole plan, but I just kept you here for three nights just to purify you. Yeah. And by that association, she had to, I guess she, we never really hear about her insights, yeah. but at some point she falls down and just begs forgiveness from him, saying, this is the plan all along, I'm so sorry, you're such a great saint, I wish I hadn't done this. And, but her heart had changed by that association, yeah. because he gave her the time and space to actually change, which was an amazing thing, because she just came to, to ruin him. There's a, there's a puppet show of that, um, of that pastime that I saw on YouTube, and, and actually in that in that pastime, they kind of fill in the blanks of what her change of heart sounded like, and it was re- it was really sweet. But it just it made me think of it because that we don't hear what actually her reassessment was, but the actions prove that she reassessed, and she's like, and then she gave up all her things. Her rest of the course, said, away all her things and just sit, chant or sit here and chant in front of Tulsi, you know, Mother Permission and Mother Mika. Yeah, I was thinking of Gadara Pandit. He had to reassess too. Mm. Although he's only from Panchatattva. When oh, he went to see Pandurik within India, yeah. he had certain conceptions of what a devotee should be, should look like, should act, should talk. Mm. You know? And then the devotee, the intervention, it seems like in all these examples, without the intervention of the devotee, you know, there's not proper reassessment because they know what is true value. So I was just thinking of that, like he had to reassess also and accepted him in the end, Pandurigvidya as his guru. Yeah. And also with Dhruva Maharaj, um, I was searching for pieces of broken glass, but now I found the most valuable jewel. Yeah, he was looking for opulence and so on, and he had to reassess. And again, the, interve- the intervention of God and God's devotees yes. that help us to see what is genuine, real, Self-assessment. Yeah, totally. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, King uh, Rahubina, he thought Jad Bharat was just, you know, a stout fool, and then he mm. heard from him, and he actually surrendered as his disciple. Yeah. And Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya also, he was a dry logician, and then he surrendered to Lord Chaitanya in personalism, Bhakti, he became a Bhakta, and also Arjuna, he had to reassess his values, why he didn't want to fight, and all that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I, the, the, hearing these examples of reassessment, and they're just littered throughout the entire Bhagavatam and, and CC and Bhagavad Gita, it, it shows the importance of, of like Mother Parameshwara, we have to have the um, the anchor or which the kind of reference, like the, the, the um, what is it called? The pole star, like the pole star of our values, to be able to reference and to be able to even reassess. There's a lot of these R words trying to make up for the eight that I don't have, the five, five short. Um, so we revisit, we have to be clear with what our values are, what values we really want to maintain, we reassess those values. And the, la- the third R for the reset is reinvest. So we have to. If you want to. is laughing at me. But we, we revisit, we reassess, and then we reinvest. Right? Because it's one thing to reassess our values, but then the action of reinvesting in them. Right? So I thought of the example of uh, Maharaj Chitiketu. Right? He valued having a son. And although he had thousands of wives, he was unable to have a son. And so he approached Narada Muni with great lamentation. And he said, my dear sage, my life is incomplete because I don't have a son. This was his value. And so Narada Muni said, fine. Here's some, you know, I will bless you to have a son. Here's some sweet rice. Sweet rice is like the best kind of carrier for these things, apparently. You take this sweet rice, <laughs> you take this sweet rice, give it to your wife, and, and then you'll have a son. But your son's name will be Parshashoka. 
But Marsh Chittikato at that point, he was already enthralled with the idea of having a son. He didn't hear that the name would be Harsha Shoka. And what does Harsha Shoka mean? Happiness and distress. Because they come concomitantly together. So, as the story goes on, he gave sweet rice to one of his wives, which is a bad idea when you have a thousand of them. And the one wife who took the sweet rice had a child. And the whole kingdom was joy joyful, blissful, so happy their king finally had an heir to the throne, a son, young Harshashoka. What a beautiful little boy he was. Everyone was happy except the other queens. And so through conspiracy, through intrigue, they all got together and they decided, well, let us poison this small child who is the cause of our distress. Look how happy he makes the king. Look how happy he makes the queen. But what about us? And so they sneak into the nursery and they administer poison to this young child. And when the nurses come back, they find this lifeless body of a child. As happy as the entire kingdom was, you can imagine the, the uh, reciprocal distress that thus ensued. The terror of coming upon your firstborn son. So Maharishi completely beside himself, distressed, lamenting. And at that moment, just then, Narada Muni and Parvata Muni, they come. And they see Maharishi lamenting, lamenting beside himself. And Narada Muni had known this would be the result. Thus he gave the name Maharishi He said he knew that, that you, your values were actually so misaligned. Right? That your values were so misaligned that actually you were not able to see the inevitable outcome of this engagement. So at that moment, Maharishi had, had, had an opening for a reassessment. So then, Narada Muni said, My dear child, please arise, awaken. And so this child sat up, and in disbelief, the king and queen are, I mean, can you imagine? All of a sudden, you're, what was a, a dead child before he was now looking at you. And he looks both at them in the face, and he says, who are you? And they say, my dear son, what were your parents? And he said, well, I've had so many. Which ones are you? Talk about a reassessment. So after the child speaks this divine wisdom, he says, well, I have to go now. Because by the will of the Lord, I'm being carried in some other direction. We're like, we're like sticks in a river that we come together for some time and then we separate. So at that moment, the child then fell back asleep. And then the soul of that child went off to another situation. And at that moment, that opening for reassessment fully fructified when Maharaj reassessed his entire life. And what did he do? Then he went out. And he went to, um, where did he go? What was the place that he went to meditate? I'm forgetting the name. He went to some holy place of pilgrimage. And he sat in meditation. And within seven days, right, had Darshan and Amenta Shesh. So that's a reinvestment. Right? where he had this reassessment of values and he reinvested in those new values so intensely in such a way that in seven days he had darshan of the Lord. And so like that, we revisit, we reassess, and then we reinvest. Because if we reassess but then we don't do anything about it, it'll just happen again that those values are forgotten and covered. Right? So... Um, these are the three R's of the reset, and we all need a reset from time to time. Actually, all the time. I need a reset at least all the time. And so these are, these are important to um, consider because by having all three of these, then, then we're able to progressively move rather than get stuck and stagnate on, uh, on forgetfulness. Um, so we can open it up if you have any other examples of reinvestment when when personalities throughout the text or in history have 
reinvested. Yes, and then also reflections. Is there any questions? Mother Permission. I'm just thinking, following the story of Maharaji um, Ketu, to show that there is substantial outcome, a result, proof that he reinvested. Because when he was um, cursed by poverty, when, he's, when he was on his airplane flying with all his hosts of followers, and he saw Shiva giving the Bhagavatam class with his wife on his lap, and he's surrounded by a huge audience of Vidyadharas and Charanas, and he just made a comment, we just see, this Lord Shiva, although he's so exalted, he's acting like a common man, he has his wife on his lap, and he laughed. But Lord Shiva was fatherless, he didn't react in a negative way, he just smiled. And then the audience, they followed suit, the assembly, they all kept quiet and tolerant as well, but not Parvati. And she chastised Chitraketu and cursed him. He, who was destined to go back to Godhead, she cursed him to take birth as a demon. So what was his response after that reinvestment is that he accepted curse, he didn't have to, but he accepted it, and he accepted it fearlessly. So you see like a genuine outcome there. It's not just an abstract theoretical thing, but he actually evolved and he made tangible spiritual advancement. Yeah, there was growth, and, 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 and it was noticeable that, that he had grown in his conception and in his values. That he, he because he had reinvested and because he actually had a, a true transformation in that reassessment, then when another distress came, he was able to take it with grace and strive. Yeah, that's a wonderful example. I really appreciate this point of reinvestment because it, it really completes the, the image of the, the, the uh, what did you call this? Three, steps Three R's to reset. To reset, yeah, because it ceases to just be like a mental thing or an intellectual thing. There's emotion or there's like an understanding, which mm -hmm. is necessary. But um, there's always like some practical application of what you learn and that actually changes you and, and, and shows there's a difference. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about how in the uh, Ajahn Mahapastam we hear a lot about how what he was like before and what he was like during his um, his darshan of the Vishnu Dudas and Yamadu was basically deciding whether he was going to go to hell or not and suffer unimaginable torture. But what we don't hear as much about, although it's there in the Bhagavatam, is that afterwards he goes to, I think, Prayag, Prayag. and he, he just... He leaves his illegitimate life, he leaves his life behind that he created of, of nonsense, and he just goes and just worships Krishna for the rest of his life, yeah. until he goes back to Godhead. And at the same time, when he saw the Vishnu Dudas, after realizing what they'd done to save him, he wanted to pay obeisances. But before he did, they left. And Prabhupada says in the purport, they did that to increase his desire for the destination. So they're actually supporting his reinvestment. So the rest of his sadhana is, is performed in a mood of separation. Mm. Because he saw these amazing devotees who gave him greatest benediction, he couldn't even say thank you. Wow. So he, he's basically serving in intense gratitude and separation for the rest of his life, however long that was, and then he goes back to God. Right. This goes back to the point Mother Parmeshri also made that, that it's by the grace of devotees, right? That they actually aid us in this reinvestment, they aid us in this reassessment, they aid us in revisiting, and actually, in that example, the Vishnu Dudas created a circumstance that incurred, that, that promoted his reinvestment into his spiritual life. That's, that's profound. I really appreciate this point of reinvestment, um, which, which also there's a, a kind of regret or remorse to give a few more R's to it. Yeah. <laughs> Let you catch up with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking about Srila Prabhupada when you were speaking to this point that there are some instances of Srila Prabhupada being unimaginably forgiven with his disciples and allowing them to maintain themselves in responsible services that, given the mistakes that they've made, you just, it's, it's hard to imagine. And yet, this was, you could say, Srila Prabhupada's standard that he always looked for was this willingness to admit there was a misalignment of values. Now go back to your A's. They weren't going to R's. Admit that there was a misalignment of values and then to reinvest. Mm. So if, if Prabhupada saw in them that there was a, an actual recognition of something was done wrong, mm. I was off, then he was willing to accept them back, even when the thing that they did that was off was, you know, 
imaginable by most standards. Yeah. Well, that goes to, I'm thinking of, um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, even if the devotee performs the most abominable activities, but they're fixed in their determination. Because they're fixed in their determination, so that it's that quality of investment that makes one a sadhu. Yes, Mananidra. Dhritarashtra, after Vidura spoke to him, he you know, was reassessing, and then finally he just uh, invests in uh, going you know, to the forest and uh, Continuing to uh, uh, go back, uh, back to uh, the spiritual world or wherever he went, and uh, so that was reinvested in, you know, proper uh, spiritual values. Yeah, going the going back to that kind of idea of like making the proper adjustment in his situation so that he could properly reinvest. So, any uh, last minute points? Yes, minute permission. Reprieve and redemption. And the example is given also of Jagai and Marai, how they were before, you know, like hedonistic and just so corrupt, that they reinvested. And proof of that also, you know, the transformation is that they accepted such a sin as they actually belonged to an aristocratic Brahmin family. <laughs> Leave it on now to um, serve the pilgrims by preparing, you know, putting the rocks and stones, making the gods, you know, the pond and so on. And they were always in this mood of remorse. Yeah. So redemption yeah. is the result, you know, of the reinvesting. Yeah. So that's that's proof actually of their reinvesting cool. that they're doing this spiritual, uh, this devotional service, Vaishnava uh, Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, devotees. Going to Shri Madhavatam Ki. Shri Prabhupada Ki.